We're beginning a new series today, which I'm really excited about. Um, and I, I think as we get into it, you'll begin to see perhaps the irony that so many of us are missing today. Um, and why that feels to us so kind of wrong when you look around and people who you know and love who you're used to worshipping alongside are suddenly absent, you feel like, man, it's almost like there's a limb missing. And that's because in some senses, there is. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to get into it. We are going to spend our next three weeks working through uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, uh, looking at the gifts of the Spirit as Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And, and over the last few weeks, uh, we finished up our series in Luke's Gospel, and we looked at the ascension as Jesus went to be with the Father and poured out his Spirit on his disciples. And we were reminded that because Jesus rose and because he ascended to be seated at the right hand of the Father, it means that we have a hope that one day we will rise with him and be with him forever. That we have a mission that we've been sent to tell others about him. And that we also have a helper. He's poured out his spirit. We don't have to go this alone. But he gives us his very presence, his spirit, to equip us and empower us to go. And then Lex came a couple of weeks ago from Cape Town and served us so well. Actually looking at some of these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, reminding us of the fact that actually the biblical norm and the expectation in the church is that we would experience the presence of God and the power of God through the gifts of the Spirit at work amongst us. And then last week, Doug from Johannesburg came and reminded us again of our need of one another as we seek to make disciples, that we need one another for us to grow to maturity. And those three Sundays that we didn't plan, I mean, I didn't say to Doug and Lex, like, you know, this is what we've done, this is just what we're about to do, can you preach on these two things? And they have a rough idea of where we're up to and what's going on. But I think in the kindness of God, those three Sundays have served to tee us up for this series and for what we're going to look at. And so we've called this series Gifted, and then the subtitle is, What Have You Received for the Common Good? See, sometimes we can view gifts as things that are kind of purely for us. Like generally when I get a birthday gift, my first thought when I think about what I want for my birthday in my selfishness, and maybe you're all different, maybe this is to my shame in my selfishness, my first thought when I ask for a birthday gift is not generally, what can I ask for for me that will be good for everyone else. But when God gifts us, as we're going to see in these passages, it's actually for the good of others, not just for us. And so we're going to spend these three weeks in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and we'll see that throughout the history of the church, God has been gifting people for the good of others and for his glory, and, and that hasn't changed that's never changed, and it isn't going to change. That hasn't changed today. 
And that means that you, if you're a Christian, in this room, have been gifted by God for purpose. I don't think we always do as well as we could as a local church at recognising those gifts and celebrating them. And so my hope for these next three weeks is that actually this series will help us to see how God has already gifted people within Foundation Church. And my hope is that it will also help us to see to more eagerly desire to be used by God in those gifts for his glory and the good of others. And that it will also give us a healthy framework for growing in those gifts and using them. And I think it's really important we have a healthy framework. And so we're going to work through 1 Corinthians 12 and we'll do as we often do. So we're going to read and pause and unpack and then read on, pause and unpack as we go through the passage. So we begin from 12, verse 1. The first thing Paul writes to the Corinthians, it will come up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you, uh, but if you have got one, as always, please do open it up. Don't just take it from me that what I put on the screen is what it says in Scripture. Check it out for yourself. It says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The first thing Paul says to them, and in turn to us, is I don't want you to be uninformed, or I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. See, it's quite possible for Christians, it's quite possible for us, to be uninformed or ignorant about spiritual gifts. Paul didn't want that for the Corinthian church, and I don't want it for us at Foundation Church. Now, Does our ignorance, if we are indeed ignorant, as the Corinthians in parts were, stop God from gifting? No. (laughs) Emphatically, no. In fact, it's very clear as you read these chapters that the Corinthian church were experiencing an abundance of gifts of the Holy Spirit being used and expressed in their gatherings together as they met. But there was a lack of maturity and understanding in how they used them. And I think the same can be said easily for many Christians today. That there is a, they're uninformed when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. If God in his kindness has chosen to give gifts to his church then we cannot afford to be uninformed about them, can we? That makes sense, doesn't it? Because we would be making a huge mistake to be so arrogant as to think we didn't need them and to remain uninformed. And we would also be making a huge mistake to think that he has nothing to say about them and how they ought to be used if he indeed has given gifts to his church. And the truth is, if you don't know what a gift is, or how it's supposed to be used, then you can easily get the wrong end of the stick, can't you? That's true with all kinds of things that you might get given. You could easily get the wrong end of the stick and hurt yourself or others through misuse of a gift. Or you could come to the conclusion that it's useless, or doesn't make sense, and just disregard it. 
In fact, I once gave a gift to my great aunt that was a bit like that for her. She was uninformed about the gift I gave. So my sister and I, as children, we used to like disguising presents when we wrapped them up. It was something we got from my mum, because we all liked feeling presents at Christmas time under the tree to try and guess what we'd been given before Christmas Day morning. And so my mum would disguise everything by putting them into different boxes or kind of padding them out with things, and we'd taken this on. And my sister and I had bought our great-aunt a, a cast-iron trivet to put a hot pans on in, on the side in the kitchen. I thought, as a child, that was a very practical and sensible gift for my aunt. I think it was, if she'd known what it was. But we disguised it. We disguised it in a box that happened to be just about the right size for this trivet, which was a box from Patak's fry-at-home poppadoms. My great-aunt, we weren't there on Christmas Day when she unwrapped her gift, but she unwrapped it, and she looked at the box, and she didn't know what it was. In fact, she didn't even open the box to really find out what it was or to explore what it was. And she didn't ask the people who'd given it to her because she felt awkward about it, and so she put the box of fry-at-home poppadoms, or so she thought, in the cupboard. She disregarded it as something she didn't understand and that would be useless to her. She said, I don't really like curry. I wouldn't even know where to start with making those. And so she put it in the cupboard. It's a kind of silly illustration, but I think the truth is some of us can be like that with the gifts that God gives. We don't quite understand them. I'm not sure if that's any use to me. I don't, what's that about? That doesn't seem very helpful or practical. Or maybe it seems a bit weird. She thought it was a bit weird that we'd given her poppadoms. And that would have been an odd choice of gift for my great aunt. But she didn't seek clarification on what was in the box. And I think if we're not careful, we could be like that with the gifts that God gives. We don't want to be like that, though, do we? Do we? No. So we need to get informed. And Paul is going to begin to inform the Corinthian church and in turn us as we read this passage so that they are no longer uninformed and so that we are no longer uninformed, but we are clear on the gifts that God gives and for what purpose. And so we read on. He says this, You know that when you were pagans... You were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul's first point, as he seeks to help the Corinthian church and in turn us to be informed about the gifts of the Spirit, is to make it clear that people filled with the Spirit of God, people filled with the Spirit of God and using the gifts he's given them, will bring glory to God. They will declare Jesus is Lord. That will be the overflow. That will be the net result of using the gifts God has given, is that God will be glorified, that Jesus will be seen as Lord. They won't be used to glorify someone or something else. They won't be used to glorify the individual, but they are to be used for 
the glory of God. He gives gifts by his spirit, by his people. And as we seek to be informed, the first thing we need to know is that it is about the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus. We read on from verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. Here we read the next thing that we need to know so that we are not uninformed is that there are a lot of different gifts, varieties of gifts, Paul writes, but all given from one God. And it is he and he alone who gives varieties of gifts. And then Paul gives a list here for us, doesn't he? Because these are the kind of things you're looking out for in the church that God gives for what end? He, well, we've given, already said here, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For what? For the common good. So we already know it's about the glory of God, and now we find out it's also about the good of others, for the common good. And Paul gives this list here. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a good start. He says, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, of faith, of healing, of miracles, of prophecy, of discernment, or distinguishing between spirits of speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. It's not an exhaustive list. Paul is just trying to make a point that there are lots of different gifts. It's not going to be the same for everyone. There are lots of different gifts given by the same God, empowered by the same God. We read elsewhere in the New Testament, both later in this chapter, in Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4, about some more gifts that God gives to his people. We read about teaching, serving, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, miracles, apostleship, helps. I love that gift. The gift of helps, of just being someone who extends help to others. The gift of mercy, one who extends, who's just gifted by God in such a way that they extend mercy to those around them in, a, in an extraordinary way. Not in the, the way that anyone else would, but in a way that is uniquely gifted by God for that purpose. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read about hospitality and intercession, as in praying for others. And much less popular generally, celibacy. The Bible speaks of actually that some people are gifted by God to remain single for his glory. And if we read what Paul says here, for the good of the body, actually. We could dig into why and how that works another time. We don't have time today. And we open the Old Testament, we find again the, the Spirit of God gifting people 
for purpose. We read about a couple of guys in Exodus 35 who were gifted by God with craftsmanship, incredible artisan creators who would make fine carvings and tapestries and things for the temple, objects of worship to the glory of God. We read about God gifting Daniel with the ability to interpret dreams in Daniel 2, or David and the the Levites, the worship leaders in the temple, gifted by God with music, poetry, prose. And we read, Paul writes here in verse 11 about these gifts. All of these, all of these gifts, hospitality, giving, generosity, mercy, words of wisdom, all of these things, what do we read? Empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one as he wills. In other words, we don't get to choose. (laughs) He chooses who he gives what gifts to and to what extent. And that is something we really need to understand and embrace. You're not going to get the same gift as others. In fact, you might look around this room and think, I'd love to be gifted like that person. Maybe you look at Tony and Bob and you think, Man, I would just love to, to have that same incredible, serving, hospitable gift that they have. Or maybe you look at Maddie and you think, I would love to be gifted administratively in the way Madeline is. I would love to be gifted administratively the way Madeline is. <laughs> Thank God that she is. You won't have the same gift as others, and even those who you do, you won't have the same amount in the economy of God. That's his choice, his wisdom. One of the gifts that, in his kindness, God has given me, in a measure, is teaching. But I'm not even close to the measure that many others have. Now, I can work in that, and I can grow in that gifting, and I am working and, and endeavoring to try and grow in that. But I can also recognize and celebrate the extraordinary giftedness of others and go, God, thank you that you've gifted them so incredibly to teach your people, to make the truths of Scripture come alive in a way that people understand and are able to apply it in their hearts and lives. Thank you, God, for those gifts. Paul is wanting us to see here that everyone has something, but nobody has everything. And that is a very deliberate act of God. Everyone has something, and nobody has everything. Because we need the gifts in order to grow to maturity. We need the gifts for the common good, that we would be built up and grown to maturity in the faith. And God deliberately disperses the gifts amongst the church, amongst his people, which means we need each other to grow to maturity. 
Because however gifted you are, you don't have them all, and so you can't get to maturity on your own. We need each other in order to grow to maturity. The church is made up of different people with different gifts and different measures of gifts. This church is made up of people like that. I mentioned Madeline has the gift of administration, and praise God she does, because I don't. It's good. I think, Bob, I think God has given you a gift of service. And it's an incredible gift to this church community. You're a massive blessing to us. God has given you gifts for the common good. And then that's exactly where Paul continues to go and to spend the bulk of the rest of the chapter. Because he goes on to really emphasize the fact that in God's wisdom we need each other. We read from verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He's saying, as different as you might be from one another, as, as many natural dividing lines as there might be amongst you, socially, culturally, whatever it might be, when he says there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, those were incredibly stark dividing lines in the Corinthian people. And he's saying, in Jesus, those things are obliterated. They're gone. They count for nothing compared to the unity we have in Jesus. That which might push us apart, that which might cause us to be divided and separate from one another, that which might cause us to view one another as different and through eyes of suspicion or hostility are nothing compared with the unity we have in Jesus, that which pulls us together. We're one in Christ. But being one doesn't mean we're all the same. The body, he says, is made up of lots of different parts. We're supposed to be diverse. We're not all supposed to be the same. That's part of the reason that he's given us all different gifts for his glory and each other's good. This is about diversity and unity, not uniformity. We read on from verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. In other words, if the pastor should say to the teacher, I'm not a teacher, so I don't belong in this body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Or if the person gifted with administration should look at the person gifted with hospitality and say, I'm not like they are in terms of having people in our home. I find that difficult and challenging. I'm just not gifted the way they are. I find that hard. That would not make them any less part of the body. 
carry on. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is good stuff. Because it means whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever your interests are, whatever your hobbies are, whatever your area of interest and giftedness is, you belong in the church. We're not all supposed to be the same. In fact, if we were, we'd lack. There would not be health. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow a greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. This is a compelling picture of what the church community should be like, isn't it? If one hurts, we all feel it. You know, that's the case with your body, isn't it? Like even the most seemingly insignificant part of your body, you hurt it and the rest of your body knows about it. Like have you ever broken a toe or stubbed it really badly? Like your whole body knows about it. It's agony that the part that seems so small and insignificant, man, you hurt it and you know about it. You can't walk properly, you can't think clearly, Guys, that is how we should be as a church family. When one is grieving or going through difficulty, we should all feel it and care for them. It's the picture we find here. When one person succeeds or is honoured, does it say all rejoice together? There's no envy, there's no rivalry, there's no kind of like, Oh, why them? Like, why did they get the honour? Like, why, like, have they not seen how hard I work or all the things I do? <laughs> no, 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 no. When we recognise that we are one body for the glory of God and for the good of each other, when we recognise that actually our significance and value and worth is found in the finished work of Jesus and who he says we are, he chooses to gift. So if he's given you a gift of administration but you wish you had a gift of hospitality or a gift of teaching or whatever it might be, we need to find contentedness in what he's given us and recognise 
that that's no less important or more important than any other gift. There's no room for pride or boasting, and there's no room for woe is me, I'm only a this in the body, because every part is necessary for health. We're bound together as God's people in God's wisdom. We need each other. It's just as one part of the body can't go alone or disregard the others, neither can we. Did you notice that? Like, if a hand is like, like I'm off. <laughs> I'm not part of the body anymore. I'm going to go alone. I'm disconnected from this body. I don't feel like I, because I'm not a foot, I don't feel like I belong here anymore. What's going to happen to that hand? What's going to happen to it? If you cut your hand off, will it survive? No. <laughs> if your eye is like, nah, I'm done with this. Like I'm fed up of all the hearing and speaking parts. I just want it to all be about seeing and tries to go it alone. What's going to happen? Well, the body's going to suffer because you can't see properly and the eye is dead on its own, disconnected. I've shared this phrase before, but one of my friends, a guy called Donnie Griggs, who leads a church in America, often says this, says, lone rangers are dead rangers. Christians who try to go alone, apart from the body of Christ, don't last long. Cut off your hand, it's going to be pretty useless, lifeless, and unable to fill its purpose. That's the same for Christians. If you try and live in isolation from a church community, if you try and live apart from the body, you're not going to last. And the whole body feels it. In fact, even in a very temporary way. Even today, we feel it with so many members of the body missing, don't we? We feel it. And not just because the room's a bit emptier than it would be comfortable being, but because there are people who God's joined us to, who we love, and care for, who we want to worship alongside, who encourage us when they're here because of the way God has gifted them and who hopefully we are an encouragement to when they're here because God has gifted us for their good too. And so we feel it when they're not here. If you're on the live stream, I know for some you can't help it today because you're ill and it, it's great that you can join us in this way, but it's not the same without you here. It's one of the reasons we are so eager for you to gather again with us and not be unwell anymore. We're praying that you would be well again soon, that you might be here. It's important. It's not just a meeting that we kind of choose to attend. Now, Sundays aren't all of it. We know that, right? That's why we have life groups. And in fact, it's why we encourage our life groups not to be just a, a Wednesday evening meeting, but a community that cares for one another and prays for one another, eats together, walks together, asks open and honest questions about how each other are doing. That's the kind of life we want in our groups because we need each other. In God's wisdom, he's put us together. He's joined us together. And a right understanding of the body will also grow in us humility, like I mentioned before. 
not prioritizing the gifts that just seem impressive. That's why Paul talks about the honorable parts and the less honorable parts and the stronger parts and the weaker parts of the body. We're not to prioritize the bits that just seem impressive and ignore everything else. See, the church is not going to be healthy. We're going to be messed up if we think it's all about the, the, the kind of upfront or impressive gifts, it's about those who lead worship or preach or whatever else that seems public and impressive or those who prophesy. We can place great emphasis sometimes on those gifts to the detriment of celebrating and recognizing the many other ways in which God has gifted people for the common good and for his glory. All gifts are needed. Each one of you is needed and important. But remembering as well that their gifts also grows us in humility. Because they're gifts. <laughs> Which means, however much you think you might have done, you didn't earn it. It's a gift. <laughs> and that ought to humble us. Because in his wisdom, he's chosen to gift you in a particular way. And he's chosen to gift someone else in another way. And that means there is no room for boasting or pride. Because you didn't earn it, it's a gift. A free and generous gift of God. He gives, he chooses what to whom and how much. If you did nothing to earn it, and in God's eyes it's no more needed or valuable than any other gift, then what room do you have for pride or boasting? And then Paul comes back to finally underline his his main point. In verses 27 through 31, we read this. Now you are the body of Christ. As you need to hear this. This applies to the church globally. Okay? So we need to get that perspective. But it also applies to local expressions of that church. See, the Bible has no notion of the, the kind of churchless Christian who just kind of said, the, the kind of nomadic like, oh, I just belong to like, the church globally. We don't find that in Scripture. What we see are people committed to local communities of believers. You, Paul says, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church... And we get another list of gifts now. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracles. Then, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And then he says this. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Paul asks these rhetorical questions about the gifts. Do all do it? And like the, like the answer's really clear. No. <laughs> like, no. 
And that means you won't have it all. Like if someone claims to possess all the spiritual gifts, don't believe them. You won't have it all. Again, this list isn't an exhaustive list, but Paul is making a point. He's underlining his point that you need others because you don't have it all because all don't prophesy and all aren't apostles and all aren't teachers and all don't have gifts of healing and all don't speak in tongues or have the ability to interpret tongues and all don't work miracles and all don't have the gift of helps or administration and that means we need one another. You need others because you don't have it all. But it also means this. It also means that you don't just shrug your shoulders when you read that list and go, do all. No. In fact, I just read the list. I went, nah, I don't think I have any of them. But hey, it says do all. So, because Paul concludes in this way, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, (laughs) That word that's translated higher elsewhere gets translated greater, sometimes gets translated larger. And there's lots of debate over exactly what Paul's referring to. I don't think it actually matters all that much because what everyone really agrees on is he's referring to the gifts. (laughs) So they eagerly desire the gifts. Like, is he saying specific ones? Or is he saying desire to be gifted? Paul's argument is this. Does everyone have all the gifts? No. Will everyone have all the gifts? No. Is it up to God to give according to his will? Yes. But we should still lean in and ask. We should still lean in and ask, God, won't you gift me in some way that I might serve others and bring glory to you? That's the thrust of this passage, that we would see our part united to other Christians, not cut off or isolated, but joined to a body of believers, eagerly asking God, God, would you gift me so that I might serve and bless others, so that I might help others grow to maturity in the faith and I might bring glory to you. That's how we're to pray. Guys, we need you. We need you to use the gifts God's given you for the good of everyone else here. We need each to play their part according to the measure that God has given them. Not envious of others, or vying for position or status, but humbly saying, God, what you've given me, I want to use for your glory and for the good of my brothers and sisters, for the good of this body. And as each 
one of you plays your part. These gifts are going to help us to know Jesus more fully, to grow more into his likeness, and, and to be more effective as we go with him on mission. It's all play. Like, I hope you know that already. I, I try to say that as often as I can. But this isn't supposed to be a spectator sport, the church. Your life group needs you. They need you to commit. They need you to be present. They need you to, to encourage them, to ask how they're doing, to pray for them, to use what God's given you to bless them, just as you need them to do the same for you. And we need you when we gather on a Sunday to, to, to bring what God's given you. Now, not everyone is going to have every gift. Paul's very clear about that. But he's also quite clear that in God's kindness, everyone has something to contribute. And so I want us to be very practical about it this week. And so the first thing I want to encourage you to do this week is to consider others in this church. People here today, people who haven't made it today because they're away with family or they're unwell or they've got other things going on. Consider others and the way that God has gifted them and thank him for them. And then thank them (laughs) for using their gift for the good of this body. And then secondly, I want you to consider how God has gifted you to prayerfully consider, God, what have you put in me? To, to read these lists. So I'm going to send a list out to everyone of those gifts that I rattled off earlier. And to consider, God, out of those, what have, you, what have you placed in me? Have you made me generous for your glory? Have you given me a gift of hospitality? Am I particularly well organized and administratively gifted? Actually, do I just hear clearly from you? Have you gifted me prophetically to encourage the church, to strengthen the body? How have you gifted me? And to ask him to help you to use that gift for his glory and for the good of others. And maybe you might read that list and you think, I don't know. I don't know like, if God's given me any of those. Then I want to encourage you to pray, to lean in. That's where Paul concludes in 31, earnestly desire the gifts. To say, God, would you gift me in some way for the good of others? And then I'm going to encourage life groups to do this together this week, but I'd love to encourage you to do it on your own too. Spend time thanking him for the diversity of people and gifts in his church. In this church, in the church in this nation, in the church around the globe, spend time 
thanking him for the fact that everyone's not like you. And that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah? I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to come back to worship. Why don't you, why don't you stand as a way of responding to this together? Let's stand together.